Hello, and welcome back to the Point and Laugh podcast with your hosts, Skylar and Kaylin. Wait, do it again. <laughs> we just hold hands again. Just, We're getting progressively flirtier as the <laughs> hand exchange keeps getting a little more complicated. Um, so hello, as we have teased in our previous episode, I know you guys have waited a whole week to hear our thoughts, but we have not one, not even two. But three movies to kind of briefly touch on. You have three. You have three movies. Okay. All right. So I have three movies. She has two. Well, I I haven't seen one of them. Well, most of... Here's the thing. Life is expensive. And so most of the things that we do for fun involves going and doing our AMC (laughs) A-list. Doing our AMC A-list to make it worth it. Because it's technically free. (laughs) No, it's not. Everyone. Um, Did you know that if you only... Sometimes AMC will be like, your weekly ticket is here. And I'm like, ooh, weekly ticket. And then I'm like, I've seen all of these. <laughs> Every movie that I wanted to see. So first, off the docket, because this was a while ago, was Priscilla. I'm wearing my Elvis mugshot. It's not a real mugshot. I thought it was a real mugshot. I'm wearing my Elvis mugshot shirt because he will pay for his crimes. Um, Actually, we each have one because you saw Saltburn, right? The other oh, thing. Yeah. <laughs> So it's a Jacob, a Jacob yeah. Elordi double feature. Double feature, truly. Um, I truly think that Priscilla is one of my favorite movies of the year. I gave it five stars. Mm-hmm. It was one of those things where like usually when I have a movie that's long awaited, my expectations of it are too high. But I'm watching it. I'm like, good, good, mm-hmm. excellent. Because what I was, I was afraid that it was going to be a little too sensitive to Elvis because I know currently to this day, Priscilla Presley is pretty pretty still in love with Elvis and the guilt of, you know, having Elvis's life fall apart shortly after, you know, Priscilla left him is a guilt that she, you know, still hangs heavy over her. And like to hear Priscilla tell her story, she is very forgiving of all the fucked up shit that Elvis did while still admitting that he did some fucked up shit. Mm -hmm. Like she'll tell the story of like, yeah, so technically he did meet me when I'm 14, but like it was fine and I was actually mature for my age and he was such a gentleman and he waited and you just that's how she says it that's how she still firmly believes that it went down and everyone around her just goes like oh girl what the fuck and so to see this movie straddle a fine line between like the events and how Priscilla saw them like yeah you're right you know I'm sure and maybe he was wrong and maybe Priscilla's still trying to protect him but Elvis technically did never touch her until after they were married and after she was you know over 18 i think maybe 20 ish they're kind of unsure Mm -hmm. because like it's still the same actors obviously who grow um you know chronologically so it's kind of hard to tell like the exact age that they finally have sex but when they would make out when she was like 14 15 16 he did be like baby we can't (laughs) maybe we shouldn't and so I'm, I'm sure in her mind, she's like, oh, he was so respectful. He asked my parents permission mm-hmm. before he did everything. He made sure I graduated high school. <laughs> but like, honestly, and I was talking about this with, with Kaylin and our, and our friend Keely earlier. I'm like, that's more scummy to me. Mm-hmm. To just be like, because it'd be one thing if he was like, I like him young. And then like slapped her on the ass. And he's like, I'll tell me more that you're 14. But like to the fact that he kept showing restraint and like almost like show like a kind of guilt around her honestly kind of made me feel like he knew it was wrong and he did it anyway which yeah. I'm like that's worse yeah that's worse versus like i didn't know she was 14 she doesn't look 14 <laughs> but yeah very well done it was everything i wanted and more and yeah. unfortunately the whole jacob lordy of it all um is kind of ironically overshadowing priscilla in her own movie and i get that that was kind of the point i know um one of the critiques of priscilla is that it kind of ended too soon and you didn't really get to see what she was like after Elvis, but I also kind of like that. You don't see Priscilla doing something for herself until like 
15 minutes before the movie's about to end. Because randomly you see Priscilla like doing karate or like yeah. like taekwondo or some sort of like self-defense class. And you're like, oh, that's new. Oh, shit. This is like her one hobby that she, because I don't know, it just seems more true to life that her life had revolved around Elvis since she was yeah. 14. And so to see her like break free of that, I don't know. I feel like having it go on without him wouldn't have been as punchy but anyway that's the one movie uh-huh. one movie down yeah 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 i really liked i i did like <laughs> priscilla um i did feel like it i i'm i'm one of one of the critiquers i i just i wish there was a little bit more like it felt like like and i i guess you're right like maybe that is kind of the point but yeah it just kind of ends and mm-hmm. you're like oh okay sure <laughs> sure um no but it was really good it was definitely and we even talked about this we talked about this at the at the end like it they they made it all very like realistic Mm -hmm. which was amazing um because it's like you have that feeling you're like stop 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 she's a girl she's a girl she's so obviously a girl too it's not even like she has this like sultry deep voice or whatever like you look at that you clock her she's 14 years old yeah and then there's that scene in the movie where he's like, so what are you, like a junior, senior in high school? Which already, hey, Elvis, LV boy. And then she's like, no, I just finished ninth. You know, I'm in ninth. He yeah. just started ninth. He was like, ninth what? She's like, grade. And he just goes, all right. And then leaves her alone. And you're like, okay. And then the next day he's like, want to come over again? I'm like, ah! I'm like No, but we literally, we exited the movie and we're like, that would have worked yeah like, that would have worked and i'm not even a, i'm not attracted to jacob Elordi in that way i'm really mm. not and like i know a lot of like elvis kind of changed jacob Elordi's like sexy perception to a lot of people who didn't really get it when he was in euphoria mm-hmm. um because i all i see is like this c- the complete domineering height and also just like presence that he oh. has that scene where he's like putting the bracelet on her his hands are so much bigger than hers and it really just looks like like a like a giant person is putting mm-hmm. like a little like handcuff on this itty bitty baby hand and i'm like i'm gonna vomit i'm vomiting mm-hmm. right now i'm gonna blow chunks but like that feeling of like being 14 yeah of like this essentially how many fanfics did we read about harry styles picking us of all people and what are we? everyone's talking about him in the hallways but you get to you know he he brings you to vegas and he shows you off and he picks you out of everybody all of his adoring fans and uh yeah no yeah (laughs) no yeah yeah no but it was very good a lot lot more bare feet than i was expecting but i feel like that (laughs) that's just then there's something like girlish about like painted like freshly painted like toes on top of a very pristine white carpet that like she wasn't actually allowed to get dirty Mm -hmm. so i feel like that but yeah i was like first a lot of shots in this i was like did quentin tarantino have a hand in directing (laughs) this there's a lot of bare toesies (laughs) in in prathilla a lot of little piggies (laughs) Uh, (laughs) hadn't seen salt burn heard it's a trip um um i did see salt burn and indeed it is a trip <laughs> i um um i i can't even describe i can't even des- it was good i really liked it i really liked it it kind of lost me a little in the end i'm gonna be honest mm. it lost me a little bit in the end um but it like there were so many moments this is this is how i describe it there were there were many m- moments of horror of not like well i mean a little fear but not not like oh my god like don't open that door yeah yeah nothing like that but just many moments of you're like what the fuck is happening and you can't help but laugh yeah you can't help but laugh like you're like in such shock that you're just like what (laughs) what the fuck what the 
fuck is happening? Um, but no, it was it was very good. I would recommend seeing it. Um, honestly, I would see it again. I I went I went with my roommate Taylor, and she was like, I feel like that's a movie that like I can't I can't see again for a long time. I would watch it again. I I, I would. Watch I it however again. am built different. No, 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 no. It's it's just like. I, f- I almost feel like I kind of need to watch it again just to be like, did that happen? Yeah. Like, did that really happen? Or was that um, a insane dream, an acid trip that I experienced? Speaking of movies that you need to watch again, I watched The Boy and the Heron with Hannah on, on Friday, which is the latest Studio Ghibli movie and supposedly Hayao Miyazaki's last movie. He has said this often. But yeah, it was just it's one of those things. And here's the thing. As an animation lover, as an art lover, as someone who loves film, like obviously Studio Ghibli is like god tier. There's just something so unique about them that you really just don't find in any other type of movies. And for a long time, I didn't really understand why. And a lot of people try to describe it or explain why Studio Ghibli's movies are so special, but it always kind of leers into like weeaboo territory where they're just like, there's just something so special about the way that Asian people tell film. I'm like, ooh. Like... One of the things I, I really appreciate from like a from like a, an animation and um, character standpoint is one of Ghibli's like, you know, calling cards is if they want to like see like a character is getting ready for the day, right? You're going to see them like, you know, they grab their pants and they like try to put a leg on, but they like don't make it all the way. And then you see them try again. And then like the whole thing with like the belt buckle when they like, you know, t- they tie a little too tight at first and then they find another one. It's like they don't do it immediately. There's a character building moments in like the small, like unperfections of doing things that usually people don't notice. And it's that attention to detail that really humanizes people. It's like you're cutting a tomato and you make one too big and you're like, is that too, damn. And like, like tiny things that like, it really shows like an, an, an eye for detail. But like so many Ghibli movies, I know they're beloved. I know they're important. Their score is beautiful. Everything about them is lovely. But I'm like, there are so many things where, like, the, the Ghibli movie's over, and I'm like, that was nice. I don't know what it was about. And, like, like for some of them, it's easier than others. Like, I know what Ponyo's about. Done. Got it. I know what Por- Porto Roco's about. Porco Roco. What is it? The one oh, with the pig? Porco Rosso. Porco Rosso. I know what that one's about. Fuck fascism. I got it. Love it. Castle in the Sky. So, I can kind of, I'm like, I get it spiritually. All right, we're getting there. Um, Howl's Moving Castle. Right. So... People have exp- people had to explain it to me essentially, and for the boy and the heron, it's it's way more of like I think it might be Miyazaki's least explained movie. It's way more of like you decide, young viewer. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I don't know. I'm like I'm trying to like, you know, with every same with everyone with no bitches. I was trying to write a letterboxed review, and I was like, I might genuinely be too stupid. Like I was like. I know it means something. And I'm reading all these reviews on Letterboxd about everyone saying, like, this was a masterclass. Like, I've never felt so moved by a movie in my life. Like, I was sobbing by the end. What a what an excellent critique on on capitalism. And, on, and I'm like, really? You're like, that's what you go for? Fuck. So, like, I think I just need to, I need to watch it again just because yeah. I'm like, I'm missing something. And, like, I was telling her, you know, and, and Hannah, too, and I feel like everyone, I'm like, I watch movies quite often, AMC A-list. Like, I don't need someone to look at the camera and be like, this movie was about war. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll, I'll, you know, I can pick up on it. And usually I love, like, you know, movies that are up to your own interpretation. But I'm just, so I'm like, I don't need you to hold my hand and tell me what the movie's about. But I'm like, I'm usually better at guessing what movies are about than this. And I'm like, how are you all getting in? And I'm not. Boo. 
that was Boy in the Heron. I have to see it again. Yeah, I have not seen it. If so just to I'm see um, Robert Pattinson's like voice acting debut, mm-hmm. I know I'm excited. Mm-hmm. I want it's it's definitely on my on my list. I'm a big um, Ghibli viewer. Mm-hmm. Now for the moment we've all been waiting for the tantalizing scathing review of why Kaylin decided that the Hunger Games, the tale of songbirds and snakes, <laughs> is just fine. I okay. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. I so. Skylar and I went with our wonderful friends, Keely and Riley, and I was watching the movie. First of all, I'm sorry. It was so long. It was mm. so long and it felt long. Literally, like when when it because they break it up, they break it up into like part one, part two and part three, mm-hmm. which I don't love. Um, I'm sure that's how the book is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that's that. that's how the like book chapters were were broken up. But I I don't know. I didn't think it was really necessary but i guess if that's how the book that's fine um i i should also say i have not read the book i've read all the other hunger games i've watched every other hunger games except for mocking j part two this book only came out in 2020 so it's not like it's been around for a while yeah it's a recent like addition to the canon um but i i i just didn't love it i don't know there were like some moments that were supposed to be serious that i couldn't help but laugh at like i just didn't think I thought a couple of the acting, like, some of the people weren't that good at acting. Or, like, I just didn't love them in the role that they were cast in. Mm. Um, I love Hunter Schaefer. I didn't think she was that great. Mm. I she wasn't given a ton to work with, I'll be honest. That's fair. That's fair. But you, I don't know. Just, like, the way she delivered some of her lines, I was kind of, I was like, okay. Um, and then, I, I'm sorry. I felt zero chemistry. I felt zero <laughs> chemistry between uh lucy gray and i'm just gonna call him coral i don't know coriolanus coriolanus no fucking (laughs) chemistry i feel like their relate their like development of their relationship you're supposed to believe that they're like madly in love with each other he literally like spoilers spoilers ahead he literally like goes to 12 to like find her because he's like oh my god like i love i love her so much and i'm like where where did that come from i'll I'll contest a little bit because I think I haven't finished the Ballad of Songbirds okay. and Snakes, so um, that's on me. Uh, but from, I haven't even started it, so you're ahead of me. So and and they don't really obviously. There's just so many things that you just cannot translate mm-hmm. um, from book to screen. Even the original Hunger Games had this problem. Katniss did so much of her you know, thoughts and feelings inside. Uh She is not a talker. And so Jennifer Lawrence had the incredible challenge of trying to convey all of Katniss's feelings with with her facial expressions, while also her main her main like character tick is being unreadable. So it was a really fine line to draw because she can't be too expressive because then like she wears her heart on her sleeve yeah. and that's not her character either. And I think she did a really good job. But Coriolanus in the book, like he is a fucking bitch. Like okay. you, you see his innermost thoughts and he's way more like cruel and petty. I think they, Coriolanus in the movie gives off a little bit more of like a wide eyed, um, you know, a little bit more of naivete. Like maybe mm-hmm. there's some good left in him. In the book, he's like, no, this, this is kind of a bastard. But I think the the story worked for me because I think I I never I also didn't get love story vibes. I didn't because I don't mm-hmm. think they were madly in love. Frankly, I think I saw what I saw was a girl who was desperate and just kind of attached herself to. Mm-hmm kindness in her last moment and like that happens you can Mm -hmm. trauma bond over anything and then i saw a man becoming obsessed with a woman 
not necessarily in like a mutual because like they're together and like mm-hmm. there's tension there there's never a moment where i'm like these two could make it there's mm-hmm. always a moment where i'm like this is never gonna work and like i know that now like knowing that the snow that we see mm-hmm. is not going to end up with this fucking free-spirited like appalachian country singer mm-hmm. who's like barefoot and travels place to place that's not gonna they're never gonna work so i knew they weren't gonna work from the beginning and i what what i got out of it is instead of like you know when 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 a man goes through a really traumatic breakup in high school and decides to be a misogynist for the rest of his life mm-hmm. <laughs> to make it everyone's problem i believed that he became obsessed with this idea of saving her and of escaping mm-hmm. this very you know conf- like constricting society that he was failing in despite his best efforts because everyone was out to get him in this fucking very superficial society. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, maybe I'll just escape it all and live with my free-spirited liberal girlfriend. <laughs> I think, I know you said last episode that the, the second he like buzzed his hair and like wore a dog tag, you were like, he's kind of hot. And I'm like, no, he's scary now because he looks like a real person. <laughs> like before he has like this like luscious curls uh-huh. and he's wearing this like, like, like satin red like shirt skirt moment. And he looks very regal. And I'm like, ooh, okay, pretty boy. And the second he looks like Eminem, I'm like, ooh, ooh, no. Oh, no. He looks like someone I knew in my hometown. Yeah. Run, run, yeah. run, bitch. And you can tell because, like, it, it wouldn't really be love because the second that she, like, gets the fuck out of Dodge, spoilers, he loses his fucking mind. Mm-hmm. It's less, like, heartbreak and more like, all right, where is she? Yeah, I just didn't. That's the thing, too. I I just didn't see the character development in mm. either of them. I, I like I just feel like the jumps were kind of made. Mm. And I'm like, where the fuck did that come from? Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I just felt like there were a couple holes or maybe some things that maybe if I had read the book, it would have made more sense. I don't know. And also, to be fair, I have not seen the hung or like read the books. I have not seen any of the movies in years. So there were a couple things where I kind of had to be like, oh, I remember it. Like this prop. That was if, important, wasn't it? Yeah, I was like, if I had a better like memory of Hunger Games, like this would probably make more sense. You're watching that scene and they're like, oh, this root is called Katniss. You're like, Katniss, that's, like, that's important. <laughs> Why is that name important? Oh, I need to know that. <laughs> um, yeah, so it. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I wasn't. Yeah, I don't know. I was just kind of watching it and I was, I was like. I this is what I was gonna say earlier I was fully prepared to like when the when the movie ended I was like laughing and I was kind of and I was looking over and I was about to be like wow that was kind of bad and then everyone was like oh my god that was so good and I was like I cannot be bringing down the vibe that was me with past lives (laughs) I was like fuck that's why I don't know if you noticed but I was silent last night I was totally silent because I just didn't I was like you guys were having such a good time I was not gonna be the fucking bitch that was like actually um this this, isn't this I actually really didn't like it I don't know it just didn't yeah it didn't really vibe vibe with me but I I, yeah I don't know there were a couple I I have to spoilers sorry guys spoilers skip ahead (laughs) um but when Peter Dinklage's character dies why was his death kind of funny why was it not good? Because it was good? zoomed in pretty Yeah, why pretty was deep. it, like, not good? Like, it just, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. There were there were just certain certain moments. But, and I think I said this, too, um, when we saw it last night, but it does what I'm pretty sure George Lucas wanted the Star Wars prequels to do. And when Suzanne Collins first announced that she was writing A Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, they're like, here's young Snow, young Cornelius, like, Coriolanus Snow, which I'm pretty sure they call him Cornelius in the original trilogy because they somewhat fucked up somewhere. They're like, it won't matter. His name is too weird for us to just drop it. (laughs) Um, 
And he's like, it's it's him young and in love with like a Katniss, essentially. And I'm like, oh, God, because I hate, I hate when, um, here's the thing, my misogyny is popping out when like young readers, usually teenage girls are like, yeah, but he's sexy. Like the last thing I wanted is like another origin story about why this super evil guy who like literally sells children into sex slavery and mm-hmm. keeps the hunger games, like this brutal dictator has a tragic past. Boo fucking who and he's in love who fucking cares like he 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 had his heart broken cry me a river like so i was expecting to go in and just be like oh god i can't wait to see how this justifies it i can't wait to see like oh actually his problem was a woman the whole time mm-hmm. or or do like the, the the star wars prequels thing where it's like actually he was a good guy and then so many things were just out of his control and mm-hmm. it forced him to be evil on accident and then in the last 15 minutes he becomes like a school shooter yeah and this movie didn't do that, which I, I did think like that. was surprising. You, instead of justifying it, it explained it. And I think that's such a fine line to walk, especially when media literacy is at an all-time low and you cast a hot man to play a very dangerous man. Like, I feel like that it's, they, they, took, they took a gamble, they took a risk. And instead of me being like, oh, now I feel bad for Snow, it's me going, oh, yeah. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Why well, he would call Katniss Miss Everdeen all the time. Did not he would not use the word rebel. When the first time he saw the mocking Jay pin on her dress in one of the movies, he like stops and stares at it for a minute. The first time he hears Katniss sing the hanging tree, he fucking loses it. And how he how he views twelve, how he views the districts, yeah. what, how he views the Hunger Games in general, how he views, you know, love. Like I they're holding hands. I want them dead. Like yeah. Things that were not that they were unclear, you know, earlier, you know, in the movies, and you're not watching, it, you're like, how come he does this? You, you, it makes sense, right? You're watching, the, you're reading the books, you're watching the trilogy, you're like, oh, n- there's no holes in his character that need explaining. It, this just adds a different layer of context. And I really appreciated that. And it, it was believable how this person turned into the person that became the old ass man that we saw. It wasn't like night and day. This wasn't like a, how could such a man, you know, turn into such a monster? It was more like, here's how a man who might've had some good intentions, but was ultimately very self-serving turns into a brutal dictator. Mm -hmm. Everything kind of matched up in in that way. And I don't know, there's just something, when I saw the title screens, I felt less like, oh, here's part three. And I was going to say, it was long. And usually I hate long movies, but I was dialed in. I don't know why. I was like, because I, when I saw the title screens, I felt the same way that I do when I see, like, a late title drop. Yeah. You know, like, you're watching a movie and they wait to, like, drop the title until, like, 15 minutes in the movie. And then it's, like, the title of the movie. And you're, like, oh! Like, I felt that. I felt that adrenaline rush when it was, like, part three. I'm, like, <laughs> there's more. Could it have been two movies? Yes. Usually I'm not one to be, like, actually, it should have been a part one, part two. Um, especially because the last Hunger Games movie just did that. And I feel like if they did like Sands of Songbirds and Snakes part one, they'd be like, first of all, that's the longest title yeah. <laughs> in the history. It's the Hunger Games colon the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes already. You want to be the Hunger Games colon the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes part one? No. Mm. High School Musical, the musical, the series. Get the <laughs> fuck out of here. But yeah, it, that's also something that I, I feel like is I'm going to rewatch for a while. And you know what? I had Hunger Games phase, so... That might have helped. Yeah. But anyway, anyway, we've been talking about movies for like 30 minutes. <laughs> so speaking of brutal dictators. <laughs> so here's the thing. Here's the thing. I know there's like a, there, there is a stereotype that the second that a bitch with the podcast mic gets a podcast mic, she wants to pop off. Or if it's a man, they want to pop off about how women are the worst. Or everyone with a podcast mic thinks that they can go full political on you and you're like, whatever. 
here's the problem with that. So remember like a couple episodes ago when I was talking about um, AIDS crisis and the art that came from that? So there was kind of a joke that was running around on Tumblr of all things um, 10 years ago that was basically being like, you can trace Ronald Reagan back to every problem in modern day America. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. It's I, like he is the most like one of the most famous conservative presidents. Like it makes sense that obviously if you don't like conservative Republicans, you're not going to like their fucking hero. Like water is wet. But I think it was it was doing research for the, you know, episode about how Ronald Reagan handled the AIDS crisis that I was like, wait, so let's actually unpack. Yes, Ronald Reagan was influential. Yes, he was a very famous, you know, conservative Republican president. But he only had like an, a term of eight years. Really, how much? I know eight years is a long time, clearly. But like, how much influence could one man do in eight years? And then I'm like, you've got to be fucking kidding me! I went down a rabbit hole until five in the morning, <laughs> and I'm so sorry, but it's gonna be. This is gonna be an episode that kind of just goes through about how like one Ronald Reagan can get kind of mess up every time, like. America, booze, but like America as a country, everyone has their issues with it. But I feel like if you talk of like, what's what's your issue with America? Pick one. Oh, you can trace that back to Ronald Reagan. I'm like, that's impressive. You usually can't do that with like, what's the last person you can do that with? Washington, <laughs> the foundation of America. It's been a, like, you know, and F FDR did this. What? What were you gonna say? I was gonna say Lin Manuel. <laughs> <laughs> Everything that's wrong with America <laughs> is that lip biting emoji. Was like, um, but like I feel like, um, in unfortunately, like you can say a lot of presidents were influential, like FDR, but a lot of FDR's policies aren't really around anymore. Or if they are, they're kind of reduced in some capacity. But a lot of what Ronald Reagan did it hasn't been undone yet. Um, so I wanna, I wanna unpack. I want to pack basically every problem that could possibly you have with this nation. It's always nice to have a good punching bag. So. Mm -hmm. So welcome. <laughs> so welcome to this. Um, settle in. Strap in. It's going to be a little bit more of Professor Schuyler. Um, and, and as usual, jump in with with a reaction or a question. I'll try my best to answer it. I'm getting a lot of information from this like I'm getting like from 50 articles, but one of them is this YouTube essay by, um, oh, I forget her name, but she's like her whole thing. She's like, I'm a real lawyer. And it's like it was the, it was a video essay called How Reagan Ruined Everything. And I'm like, surely, surely that's a hyperbolic, you know, clickbaity title. <clears throat> so to start this off, I'm going to read a little excerpt from a, mag a magazine article from Time magazine called You're Remembering Reagan Wrong. So <laughs> for 40 years. Ronald Reagan has been a hero to Republicans and conservatives. Reagan is remembered for his vision for America, a vision of self-reliance, of limited government, stout defense, and world leadership towards freedom. So Reagan had no military experience beyond performing in films for the army during World War II, but his strategic goal was to shrink government at home and defeat communism abroad. On the latter, he memorably told Richard Allen, who became his national security advisor, quote, my theory of the Cold War is we win and they lose. <laughs> brilliant. He called for cutting taxes, and he was astonishingly successful in doing so, reducing by half the top rate on personal income. The most frequently quoted line from his first inaugural address has him saying, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. 
Hey, what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? That's just kind of, that was someone painting him in a good light. They're like, mm. this is how Reagan lent us to like the ultimate American ideal of liberty and prosperity that this country was founded upon. And even then we're like, and then he did this. And I was like, hey, so what? cutting taxes, rewind. <laughs> and the Cold War strategy, rewind. <laughs> what does that mean? And what did he do? So before we begin, Reagan was actually the first politician to ever use the phrase, make America great again. So just to give everyone a taste of the type of politician that we're getting ourselves into, Trump didn't even come up with the phrase, make America great again. That was Ronald. He was quoting Ronald Reagan this whole time. So already, Ronald Reagan making the world a worse place. (laughs) Tally on this side of the board. So Ronald Reagan, Ronnie boy, was elected president of the United States in 1980, and his historic eight-year term was an incredibly popular one. His landslide re-election victory included 49 states. 49. 49 states voted for him. Which state wasn't? I don't remember. (laughs) Which would be like Wyoming. But like 49 states and 58% of the popular vote. An unfortunate fact, he was a governor before, you know, he was president. He was the 33rd governor of California Mm -hmm. for two terms. So he was an actor. Actor. And again, why I hate the people being like, but you live in California. That's the land of the liberals. I'm like, is it? It's the land of the money. (laughs) It's the land of people with money. Yeah. So 40 years. It's going to be 40 years this year. 40 years after first being elected president. The myth of Ronald Reagan still has this country by the balls. As I said in the previous episode about the AIDS crisis, he's the conservative's messiah. He's the Republican legend. He's this very well-packaged politician who marketed himself so well that even his liberal opponents couldn't help but just like his personality. You could be like, I don't like that Reagan. But you know what? He's a good man to talk to. He's a good old cowboy. He's a boy scout. He's the shiny bright american dream and as journalist kenneth t walker put it in 2008 reagan gave conservatism a pleasant face and an appealing voice and this was central to his success as usual middle america loves politeness that was one of even though trump obviously has middle america in in still a threshold that's going to become a problem in the coming months they don't like it when people are impolite they love someone who stays in their lane (laughs) and ronald reagan was nice I just imagine being like, yeah, Reagan was just like the Riz master. Like, he, just- <laughs> he kind of was. And it's so weird because like when you think of Riz, you don't think of his speech pattern. It'd be like, when I'll say it right now, America will win because America is great. That was my Ronald Reagan impression. <laughs> right down below. Letterbox me. <laughs> and again, to say that like our current levels of economic inequality and political instability are the result of one single man is being very generous and frankly probably giving Reagan way more credit than he deserves. He didn't invent anything that he did in his eight years as president, um, but his administration was a very effective one. Again, in eight years, he managed to undo literally most everything that the previous decades had been doing. And it's kind of hard to pinpoint another president who not only was this effective with near always bipartisan support but his policies that are this enduring again usually previous presidents policies are undone by now that's the nature of time (laughs) and of constantly getting a new administrations is a lot of give and take it's a lot of tug of war it's a lot of we make gains here Mm -hmm. and then the next year maybe someone else more republican takes the lead and they make gains here and then it's we win some we lose some we gain but i feel like a lot of reagan's policies had a pattern of just being super glued Mm -hmm. to the nation's backbone yeah, except for like the um, uh, the Constitution, we haven't really undone that. We no, <laughs> God forbid we touch that. 
<laughs> so relevant. So one of what, what what Reagan is most known for is Reaganomics. <laughs> so this is Reagan's version of supply side economics, or what's more commonly known as trickle down economics. If you've heard this, everyone tense. Reaganomics was the theory that basically said by removing regulations on businesses and lowering their taxes, they'd be able to be more productive. They'd have more freedom to be agile in the market. And that growth would translate to more jobs and then higher wages for workers. The wealth would start at the top and then it would trickle down to everyone until they got to the bottom. Right, guys? Right? That's the thing is... not I'm not defending Reagan. I would like this to, is a I would free like space. So this is a free clear. space because there's a reason he had bipartisan support. Mm-hmm. Like that sounds good, right? Mm-hmm. If people weren't, or I I don't want to generalize people, but like if the rich weren't greedy, <laughs> literally, it's giving, that would work. It would. It only works if you assume the best. Yeah, in yeah, people if with people money. People were good. If people <laughs> if people in power were inherently good, and they wanted the people under them to succeed, and like. <laughs> live good lives then that would totally work but <laughs> but the thing is we live in a society and it, it just so happened that when reagan took office the u.s was going through a stagflation where unemployment rates were high at the same time there was a huge recession mm-hmm. hey everyone hey and at the time it was actually the worst recession since the great depression at the time we've had worse recessions since <laughs> so at the time because there was like the one-two punch of people were unemployed and things were also expensive people were like well maybe dramatic economic change is what we need so really quick American history lesson. There's going to be a ton of that in this episode. Because again, I just wanted this to be like a short and sweet one. And then for context, I had to bust out the American history book. So call me the Green Brothers. I'm about to uh, crash course U.S. history. <laughs> so since this was the worst recession since the Great Depression, let's take a look at how we got out of that, of the Great Depression. The New Deal. Yeah, you you were in AP history, right? AP American history. No. Oh no, I absolutely was not. I thought you were. Oh, sorry, I thought you sorry. said you took an AP history class. My bad. No, no, I I don't like history. That's fair. That's fair. Oh, I'm so sorry. There was gonna be an A push. No, no. <laughs> I <laughs> I kicked ass at A push. <laughs> so the New Deal. So the New Deal was a series of programs, public work projects, financial reforms, and regulations enacted by President Franklin D. Roosevelt, FDR himself, the boy, the man, the myth, the legend. Federal, major federal programs and agencies provided support for farmers, the unemployed, youth, and the elderly. The New Deal included new constraints and safeguards on the banking industry and focused on what historians refer to as the three R's, relief for the unemployed and for the poor, recovery of the economy back to normal levels, and reform of the financial system to repeat, uh, to prevent a repeat depression. Uh, And shockingly, uh, with government support, people could afford to eat and live and to work themselves out of financial ruin minimum wage was going up with productivity you guys you guys but as is the unfortunate case of the world things cost money the new deal was costing vast amounts of government spending on everything from mortgage financing to infrastructure budgets and there is a conversation to be had with this. Conservatives like to point out that, for example, the post office loses money every year, that schools lose money, that free lunch programs don't make any money. But some argue that social programs are not designed to make money and that it's not a bug but a feature and not everything meaningful can fit in, like underneath a capitalist mindset of consistent growth, but also money. Like we all do need it. I'm like, I'm on the fence about this a lot. Where on the one hand, I'm like, I get it. Like, always looking at things through a capitalist mindset will be like you know what doesn't make any money charity (laughs) (laughs) giving (laughs) 
that doesn't make you any money either but it's still good to do but at the same time you can't just keep giving and i like that's the one time i will be like whatever the federal budget does keep getting bigger valid but money is so helpful when you want to help people wah so essentially when reagan hit office we were in another recession and he went okay giving people a ton of money didn't make the recession go away permanently we're still in one um what if we try to fix it by taking money away see if that one sticks so begins the largest wealth distribution the united states had seen in decades so before reagan's presidency income tax on the wealthiest americans was at 70 percent so like above a certain threshold the richest americans had to pay 70 percent of their income to the government by the end of reagan's presidency that number dropped to 28 percent he also created major tax breaks for corporations and for estates on the name of creating a smaller government and putting more money in the hands of the wealthiest people and companies in the country and to his what sorry i'm i'm i mean like i knew this but i didn't I didn't realize this was Reagan's doing. This <laughs> makes so much sense as people who work on like the talent side yeah. of the entertainment industry. Once you get to a point of like being so successful as an actor or just, I, I mean, I'm sure this is many other um, industries as well, but th- this is like a big thing in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. People become incorporated. Yeah. And like you become a business like you if you're an actor, you're getting paid through your corporation. You're not getting paid as an individual. And that's done for like tax reasons, obviously. Yeah. Um, but this this is making sense why people do that and why it's Reagan's doing. <laughs> and like to his credit, it did work for a little bit. Inflation and unemployment both decreased. But then years passed and that Band-Aid solution to a temporary problem suddenly became permanent so the rich got richer and the poor middle class saw very little economic progress for just one example in 1980 the average ceo earned 36 times more money than the average worker today (laughs) wait wait sorry sorry repeat that yeah in 1980 the average ceo earned 36 times more money than the average worker okay today the average ceo earns 400 times more than the average worker the thing is 36 is a lot it's still a lot 36 is so much (laughs) (laughs) so yeah obviously just go online look outside we all know this i'm not i'm I'm preaching to the choir here the the wealthiest have never been wealthier and well for the average worker wages have not even kept up with inflation and the trickle hasn't happened yet and we've been waiting for that trickle for four decades and again what we were saying the problem with assuming decency out of billionaires (laughs) assuming that like obviously once these rich people had their fill they were like i'm full (laughs) i'm stuffed there's just some money that i don't need so whatever, you can take my excess money that I don't need and I'll put it back into the economy. I'll put it back into my workers. And then they just don't. Because <laughs> why would they do that? Yeah. Why would why would you just assume out of the decency and goodness of their own hearts, unregulated, that the richest, greediest people in all of mankind would be like, oh, I'm, I'm good. I've had <laughs> my enough. money. That's enough, actually. Frankly, it's too much money. And I reject it outright. And like, what's so crazy about all of this is that cutting all these programs did not magically make the deficit any less. In fact, it added to it. So the national debt increased to $1 trillion within Reagan's first year in office. And then by the time Reagan left office, it was at $3 trillion. You're like, why? Well, we weren't getting that money anymore that we were... <laughs> from from taxing the, the mm-hmm. rich. And then we quadrupled the military budget. Oh! <laughs> 
I'm sorry, sir, sir, <laughs> sir, 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 sir. sir. <laughs> The government is spending too much. Oh my gosh, you know what we're going to do? We are going to lower the taxes. No more money for the government. Stop giving all that money to the government. You deserve that hardworking American. Um, but the military. There's always room in the wallet for our troops. Something that is still happening. And essentially, so people are like, hey, Ronnie, where's my money? And essentially, Reagan's answer for this would just be rich. No, deadass. Any criticisms of Reaganomics was met with this very judgy attitude of like, you want more money? Go earn more money. Mm. Here in America, we work. Hmm. Every American Hmm. is an individual who is responsible for their own destiny. Anybody can pick themselves up by their bootstraps if they really wanted to. Any struggling kind of seems like a you problem, not really like an us problem. Like, why should we have to pay for your failure? Wow, it's so crazy how... (laughs) Some of our parents who grew up in the 80s, perhaps, have have this attitude. Yeah, crazy, dude, it's right? So interesting. That's nuts. Um, and that attitude did trickle down. That's the one thing that, that trickled did. down. <laughs> it was, because that's very... Ro- He's like, it worked. <laughs> See, look, trickle, trickling. And because that attitude is at the once very, like, fuck you, dude, but also kind of romantic. If it, like, the, the American dream mm-hmm. is reliant. You can fix your own destiny. If you have a problem, you have the freedom to yeah. fix it. If through through just hard work and God, yeah. you can make whatever you want of yourself. And that is such a nice thing to tell yourself that like the government is not responsible for you, that you are responsible for you. And there's something romantic about individualism. Sorry. I love the idea of imagining Reagan just like manifesting <laughs> with crystals. Yeah, he's just incense. Like, <laughs> he's like, if you just work really hard, just believe, just believe. <laughs> if you just put that energy out into the universe, you will find success. <laughs> Manifest everyone, morning manifesting. Yeah. <laughs> In that sentiment of individualism and like the fact that the, this idea that the government is your enemy and the government actually stands in your way of freedom and prosperity, that seeped into his entire administration and influenced every conservative Republican after him to this day. That attitude of like, then get up and work. It feels like nobody wants to fucking work these days. That's everywhere. That hasn't mm-hmm. gone away. Mm-hmm. Where'd that come from? Again, he didn't invent that, but he popularized it. And he did it by looking so cool and getting bipartisan support and just being this really cool guy. No, guys, Reagan's just super chill. He's he's super, once you get to know him, he's super chill. <laughs> Smoking a blunt with Ray Ray. <laughs> Here's another way, because then, okay, what is something, quiz time, what is something that our industry in particular has struggled with? Maybe like a big event that the entertainment industry has dealt with, maybe a labor issue of some kind. Um, unions? Yeah, union. <laughs> the, the the big fucking sack after strike, right? The writer strikes, strikes in general, right? So the 20th century actually saw a peak in labor unions, especially in the 40s and 50s. Over one third of all workers in the U.S. were once members of a union. Again, we're very pro-union on this podcast. Unions are strong and they could mount strong challenges against employers. And it's because of unions that we have the eight hour workday. We have minimum wage. We have child labor laws. We have the civil rights laws of the 1960s. And during this period, this is fucking crazy. Ronald Reagan himself was the president of the Screen Actors Guild. You know, SAG-AFTRA? Mm-hmm. He was president of SAG. He was Fran. <laughs> At some point in the 50s, Reagan flipped from Democrat to Republican. 
And this was part of, again, of his grand lore that he claimed it was because his party or the Democrats had failed him. And that's why he left. I'm not saying Reagan switched parties because of the Civil Rights Act, but I'm just saying it's convenient timing. No, he also, he like, he got into trouble, actually. He essentially, and it's kind of like a complicated back and forth that's really not important, but essentially it would be like if Fran Drescher started her own like age, like talent agency and then signed a waiver that that talent agency could then make TV shows which is a huge conflict of interest and you're not supposed to be able to do that of a talent agency hiring their own talent to make TV shows. And then he got a job at that talent agency and he was making like $150,000 a year in 1950s money. And then once he was investigated and union busted, he goes, actually, fuck unions. I don't think, I think they're, I hate regulations. Actually, I thought they were stupid the whole time. (laughs) So with that background in mind, not long into his presidency, PATCO, the Air Traffic Controllers Union, went on strike to demand better working conditions and increased pay, usually what people strike for. See, the the problem with this was that the workers were technically federal employees, and it was against the law for federal employees to strike. Reagan's official statement was as follows, quote, if they do not report for work within 48 hours, they have forfeited their jobs and they will be terminated. And then two days later, 12,000 federal air traffic controllers lost their jobs and then were barred from ever working for the federal government ever again. So it was a show of strength that debilitated the organized labor movement, and it hasn't recovered since. Where at its peak, union membership accounted for one third of all workers in the United States. By the end of Reagan's presidency, the number was cut in half. And today, union membership accounts for roughly 10 percent of all workers, which is a historic low. Mm-hmm. And the reason for this dramatic increase is kind of for two reasons. One, decrease. Yeah, decrease. (laughs) Increase, I wish. Decrease in unions is kind of for two reasons. One, again, Reagan's firing of all those air traffic controllers sent a very strong message to the private sector that union busting was fair game. And two, Reagan appointed his own, like, personal friends or, like, personal colleagues to head the National Labor Relations Board, the federal board that oversees unions. And they worked to loosen regulations on businesses and let them basically get away with whatever the fuck they wanted. So prior to 1979, there were on average between 200 and 400 large-scale labor strikes any given year. By 1989, there were 40. And in 2017, there were seven. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I'm sorry, I... Listen, listen, I know, I know this is probably a stupid thing to say, but it's giving President Snow. (laughs) I love segues. I love segues. I love callbacks. Yeah. So if you're ever upset that companies treat their employees like disposable napkins who should be grateful for even getting a job with no benefits, you can thank Ronnie Boy for that. And obviously, I feel like I don't have to explain this, but. Uh, no unions mean no protections, no safety net on the job, etc. If you walk into a job and they like they're anti-union, it's a it's, it's a bad sign. Yeah, yeah. There's not much good that can come from this job. Uh, speaking of helping, <laughs> more more things. This is gonna be a very negative episode. Um, you know what else sucks about this country? The lack of welfare. Who cut that? Who cut that? Who did welfare cutbacks? So obviously, Mr. I hate spending is going to slash welfare programs. That's handouts. That's the byproduct of a large government, etc. But there's another reason that he cut welfare programs or slashed them in half. And that is his favorite character. Brace for this. The welfare queen. He would make up the story about this woman they found in Chicago who was making $150,000 a year off of welfare, off of your tax dollars. This woman was, he was talking about, actually did exist. I, I was kind of hoping he 
was making one up out of thin air, but he only kind of was. So she was he was talking about this one specific woman in Chicago that was um, convicted of welfare fraud, but she only stole up to 8K total, not $150,000 a year, but whatever. Dog whistle is going to dog whistle. He convinced white Americans that urban brown women were wearing furs and diamonds, popping out baby after baby for government checks, and were eating steak and lobster three meals a day, sucking the system dry, mm-hmm. and they were everywhere. So that, like, food stamps, unemployment checks, vet- veterans benefits, these welfare queens were living like royalty. So it's only fair and righteous that we cut those budgets down, maybe even get rid of them, and that make those lazy bitches actually work for their... Uh, like reads the notes on their pump baby formula (laughs) (laughs) and food (laughs) obviously the stereotype of the welfare queen has been debunked Mm -hmm. over and over again and in fact most people on welfare are white and most people who defraud the welfare system statistically happen to be white men but regardless no shame in the welfare game i was on food stands for a little bit at all. In fact, in many states, welfare benefits are actually underutilized due to how difficult it is to, first of all, get signed up for them and to yeah. stay signed up for them because they're like, mm, you make more than so-and-so a year, you're off. I literally just saw a video. I think it was a TikTok of, of, of some lady who was complaining about mm-hmm. like our government welfare, welfare system because she made $2 over the like cap mm-hmm. to be eligible for food stamps. And she, so she like, like, oh no, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, sorry. No, it was a documentary. I was, <laughs> okay, the one time it's actually like not a documentary TikTok. and not TikTok. <laughs> um, it was a documentary. I cannot remember. I think it's called, um, a, oh, like a plate for everyone or something. I don't know, something like that. But it follows like different families um, who like can't afford groceries food and um yeah and there was this this woman and she's like i made two dollars more than like what was required so instead of them giving me like less food stamps to like i guess wean me off yeah make the make the difference for the two dollars or whatever like she doesn't get anything Mm -hmm. and she's like i i like i can't fucking afford food for my kids now because i made two dollars over the the cap which is just yeah just insane and obviously like peeling all that aside if you're like and i know that like the the idea of the welfare queen is still so prevalent like even trump talks about him sometimes and like you know previous stump speeches and whatnot not the problem i will say sorry just another interjection um there's a really great podcast called scam goddess which Mm -hmm. i love and i'm pretty sure she does an episode on like the woman who the like welfare queen was Mm -hmm. based on um and it's it it, it's very interesting it's 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 a good episode but like even that like weird like one-off country song that came out where it's just like that guy who was like beat red in the fucking face where he was just talking about like the little guy and how like why should why should we we should care about manners and not manners on an island i what are you talking i've never heard of this i don't think uh, so it it basically like this guy on tiktok made like a random country song and conservatives were like he's our king um they like made him chart like a chart topper for like two weeks Mm. but in the song he's talking about how like no one cares about the little guys anymore and for a while you're like whatever like you know rich keep getting richer poor keep getting poor i'm like i'm in it i'm in Mm -hmm. it i'm with it and he's like i hate the people in charge i'm like let's go all right fine and then the second verse he talks about welfare queens and i'm like no stop Mm -hmm. even even if even if there was any shame in the welfare game not like why is your enemy someone who's also poor 
Yeah. You know, let's let's regroup. Common enemy. You have way more to be mad at the people who put them on welfare than the people trying to use. Well, not the point. Not the point. But whatever. The welfare is now like a fucking jungle nightmare and the stigma around it um, was because of Ronnie Boy because he saw a government check and sought to either roll it back or rip it up. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, publicly shaming anyone who relied on it to survive. Speeding right along, I'm going to do three words that's going to make everyone go groan. Ready? War on drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thanks. (laughs) I appreciate it. It's like pressing a button. So the presidency of Ronald Reagan saw an expansion on the federal focus of preventing drug use and for uh, prosecuting offenders. So Reagan signed the Comprehensive Crime Control Act of 1984, (laughs) 1984, which expanded penalties towards possession of cannabis, established a federal system of mandatory minimum sentences, and established procedures for several asset forfeiture. From 1984 to 1984, the federal annual budget of the FBI's drug enforcement units went from $8 million to $95 million. Again, I want to reduce government spending except in like the military and police forces because just say no just say no don't do drugs and if you do marijuana you're going to jail Mm -hmm. he also implement he he also implemented like the three strike rule right yeah okay and according to historian elizabeth hinton reagan was a strong proponent of criminalizing drug users during his presidency in the 1980s he led congress to criminalizing drug unions unions users especially african-american drug users by concentrating and stiffening penalties on the possession of crack cocaine Mm -hmm. versus the crystallized methamphetamine that white house officials recognized was as much of a problem among low-income white americans Mm -hmm. But methamphetamine was a white problem. Crack was a black American problem. So we cracked down on crack, crack cocaine, instead of the other version. I don't know why. Hmm. Head scratcher, that one. Hmm. So, so strange. Yeah. And support for this was bipartisan. You know, even fucking assholes. And the, well, because it's like if you if you frame it in a way where you're like, like saving oh, yeah, the like, children. Yeah. You're like, no, like yeah using drugs is bad being addicted to drugs is bad like yeah i don't you know like all these uh, you can frame it in a way where everyone is kind of like oh yeah like that makes sense that makes sense you're gonna be a drug user activist yeah Yeah. if if you're not focused on like i guess like the the reality of of the situation Mm -hmm. so fast forward to the impact on that um the war on drugs began being referred to as the new jim crow At the turn of the century, incarceration rates in the United States disproportionately consisted of African-American men, according to an article from the American Civil Liberties Union, or ACLU. In 2001, the number of black men in prison, 700,000, oh fuck, what is that? 792,000. Thank you. Had already equaled the number of men enslaved in 1820. With the current momentum of the drug war fueling an ever-expanding prison industrial complex, if current trends continue, only 15 years remain before the United States incarcerates as many African-American men that were forced into chattel bondage at slavery's peak in 1860. Is that like today? Like 15 years from today? Yes. Um, So that's not fucking great. Yeah, Ronald Reagan was a big proponent of the Just Say No campaign, which was essentially drug abstinence. And only drug abstinence. And we all know how good abstinence works. And Reagan was responsible for slashing government programs that would have helped people get housed, get clean, receive mental support they needed. And instead it was just like, nah, let's just fucking throw those guys in jail. It's halfway because of Ronald Reagan that we have the prison industrial complex. And also why to this day, people that are, people are still in prison for, for marijuana charges, even though it's basically legal in a good chunk of the country. Mm-hmm. And if you were 
like say I think Missouri or some no, not Missouri didn't but if you were in a state that has since legalized marijuana and you're you could still be in prison for marijuana because you'd happen to do it in like the 90s instead of just waiting to do it a couple decades later yeah yeah another another media plug um <laughs> I don't I don't know if you'll talk about it or not but mm. 13th the um Ava DuVernay documentary right 13th e- maybe no, I don't talk about that. I don't oh. know what you're talking about. Huh? I don't know what you're talking about. <gasps> you don't? Mm-mm. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. 13th, uh, Ava DuVernay documentary. Really, really good. I think it came out in, like, 2015, maybe. Mm. But that was really the first time that I... Basically, uh, that, that was the first time that I really ha- realized, like, how evil Ronald Reagan was. <laughs> yeah. Um, cause it, it, it basically talks about, it talks about the 13th amendment, mm. um, and the prison industrial complex. And it's very, very fascinating. If you have not seen it, I like literally cannot recommend it enough. One, it's just like a really well-made documentary. How have I not seen this? I, I'm, I'm honestly kind of surprised. Mm. Um, it's yeah, a really well-made documentary. It's like, it, it keeps you locked in. It's just well-made. Um, and also the information in it is very valuable. Hmm. So yeah, would recommend that as well. This is the, uh, supplemental reading for the, for the test. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so you're throwing, so you're throwing drug users in jail. And obviously if you have like a jail on your record, you get out of jail, you might not be hired again. So obviously you have like a larger, yeah. So you have a larger base of like homeless people and drug users and more and more people are becoming unhoused because of the, those dramatic tax cuts for the wealthy and the decrease in public safety net programs. And so you'd think that seeing all of these homeless people and like more people involved in like this this drug epidemic, you'd think that people would be like, wait, something's not working. Like something's wrong. We, we fucked up somewhere. But Reagan fostered a mentality of apathy. Like, why should you feel sorry for them? They did this to themselves. Yeah, it's their choice. They're always wanting a handout of your hard earned american money do i even need to mention aids like like, (laughs) always be plugging please watch the episode where i just completely bashed ronald reagan's response to the aids crisis but uh yeah this was a disease of gay people and drug users two groups that were not people who statistically voted for ronald reagan his i didn't mention this um in the previous episode about about ronald reagan because i didn't think it was that relevant but his personal friend rock hudson did die of aids related complications in 1985 even though people close to him say that he was upset by it reagan wasn't upset enough to actually fucking say anything until two years later in 1987 when he acknowledged the disease in an official press conference but again after he finally acknowledged the AIDS epidemic for what it was, he was reluctant to acknowledge it again. And and like funding for AIDS research under Reagan was slow to come by and shitty when he found it. There was a very decided lack of resources for testing and of for medicinal drug trials. And the distribution was left to the hands of greedy pharmaceutical companies instead of through official government channels, which is why so many people were protesting the FDA and the government. Essentially, the government was like, all right, I'll just let the pharmaceutical companies handle the dealing and the distribution of... It's like, it's like if they were like, whatever, they can... It's like if the government didn't step in at all for insulin at all. They're just like, nope, take it. Yeah. Take it if you can. Find it if you don't. And like, do you know what typically happens when you let big businesses do whatever they want without federal supervision? They typically fuck shit up. (laughs) And again, it's kind of, it's unclear how the trajectory of the AIDS epidemic would have been different if Reagan had done his fucking job. And because again, in the very tidy imagination 
of his very ideal American vision. You are the product of your own actions. You have only yourself to blame. You did gay sex. You did drugs. Bootstrapped yourself out of AIDS. What are you waiting for? <laughs> and I think one of the, this, this, this idea um, is definitely a thing that we're all going to feel on a, on a more personal level is the lack of church and state separation. Um, so the Christian right, pause for booing, presented themselves as a, as a great opportunity for Reagan. They aligned on many of the same social issues like abortion and of tax cuts, and especially that idea that the individual's responsibility is for their own fate and not of anybody else's. And not only that, but it turns out evangelicals have a lot of money. <laughs> right? Um, so one group of this religious right collective um, had that had a ton of particular sway was called the Moral Majority. And the Moral Majority as a lobbying group fought against abortion, the Equal Rights Amendment, and was in favor generally of the family and traditional family values and any bills that would support anything within that view. And again, it was a huge lobbying force and it is credited with helping Reagan win the 1980 presidential election. And it was through the Moral Majority and Christian fundamentalists that Reagan was able to find a very strong and fervent base of supporters. So it was in his best interest to cater to those supporters because they're kind of a huge demographic of his core audience. At the 1984 Republican convention, he addressed the group saying, quote, the truth is politics and morality are inseparable. And on one hand, I'm like, he keeps going. And as morality's foundation is religion, religion and politics are necessarily related. He concluded, if we ever forget that we're one nation under God, we will be a nation God ad- gone under. Tactic that worked. And it's that link between the Republican Party and evangelicals that has led to the rise of Christian nationalists, to the increase in hateful legislation aimed at trans kids and drag queens, the dismantling of Roe versus Wade, the banning of critical race theory in books that present ideas kind of contrary to a conservative Christian nationalist worldview. Again, Reagan did not invent the idea that conservatives and, you know, Christians should work together. But he was really good at it. He was so good at it. And he was, he, he more than any other candidate catered to the moral majority in a way that previous candidates kind of didn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were like, I'm, I'm a believer in God. I think mean, we have yet to have an atheist president. I think one of them is like, well, I'm always something. <laughs> Usually not Catholic. I know that because the Catholic Church keeps track of how many people are Catholic. Um, but yeah, he, he kind of was a really huge early proponent of merging those two together through steel and fire. Um, and it's through that that we're obviously seeing the effects of still today, this lack of separation between church and state is going to be a problem that just will affect us, I think, for a long time. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Immigration reform. Yeah, and essentially, um, we have this really cool... Um, habit of meddling in foreign affairs <laughs> it's it's one of our favorite hobbies don't don't take that away from us we love to do it so much usually we've made it our mission to meddle in foreign affairs to stop the spread of sometimes nazism usually communism fuck we hate communism we'll do anything to stop the spread of communism and most times all it's kind of done is just bite us in the ass like we'll fund this resistance in this country because we hate the socialist leader that just got elected and that resistance will accidentally turn into a dictatorship <laughs> once they seize control you know the song and dance. This happens mm-hmm. to us all the time. Um, and usually whenever – so Reagan also um, kind of fought for tighter security of the Mexican border, the fucking border wall issue that we're still dealing with. He kind of had his his, his hands in that. Um, his anti-communist meddling in Latin America um, 
coming and that's kind of his meddling is kind of down the line doing a domino effect of having large people trying to immigrate to the United States now, which is doing that whole, like Trump's whole song and dance now is about border control and of illegal immigration being too far. And where are these people even coming from? Hmm. Where are these people even coming from? One example is the Iran-Iraq war. So this is going to be where I kind of got lost a little bit because I was a kid, like a kid kid. When I heard about Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, I liked that they rhymed. And I, I knew names like Saddam Hussein. Yeah. You were like, oh, that's Saddam Hussein. He's like an evil guy. I don't know what these people's deal was. I was like, t- I was like two. I knew Katrina, like Hurricane Katrina. Yeah. I knew it was a big deal. And I know that George Bush talked funny, but like I really didn't know anything shit about dick about anything. And really, when we think of Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, I don't know why I keep saying it in that order, because it really does slap when I say it in that order. We kind of think of it as, a, as exclusively a George Bush problem. Um, but the thing about time is it doesn't just start places. You kind of can trace it back to earlier points in time. So the war between Iran and Iraq, it's a little muddy because this war had no clear moral winner, just two different flavors of dictatorships. And in one corner, you got Saddam Hussein and you got another corner, which had Ayatollah. Oh, my God. Um, Can you try? Ayatollah Khomeini? Wait. Khomeini? Khomeini? He lost. It doesn't really matter because Saddam Hussein <laughs> came out on top. Um, so America had no natural partners in the Iran-Iraq war, but it was in our best interest that neither Saddam nor Khomeini, I'm going to say Khomeini, win that region. And for the most important part, the oil. That area had oil. We we kind of, we were like, uh-oh, that place has our oil. If only we could rule it, but we can't. So the conflict, this is cool, again, from like a neutral um newspaper i know some of these articles i got were like why ronald reagan is the fucking worst ever but some of these are from like vice and like like reputable um articles and even them like the, the way that they describe it is this conflict was not Ro- president reagan's finest hour <laughs> it's the way that the nice people have put it basically he secretly played both sides for years mm-hmm. not winning either side and then when the united states eventually erate, invaded iraq in 2003 so jumping ahead a little bit Saddam Hussein's name kept being thrown around by Republicans as this evil maniac. Like, yeah, we're invading Iraq on vague, flimsy excuses. But even if Iraq has nothing to do with Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda, we need to fight Saddam at least. Like, he, he might be developing weapons of mass destruction. He might even have ties to Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda? I keep trying to say Al-Qaeda. Plot twist, he didn't. But this character was the reason we invaded Iraq. And it was actually Reagan that helped make this man powerful in the first place. And then we have the domino effect of the Iraq War. So actually, this year, we're at the 20th anniversary of the Iraq War. Oh, my God. Which was an eight-year conflict that resulted in the deaths of more than 4,000 U.S. service members and hundreds of thousands of Iraqis. And it was due to the poor handling of Iraq that fostered a counter-movement. You might know them. Uh, ISIS? You know ISIS? <laughs> ISIS? Ever, ever heard of that? They're indie. You might not have heard of them. <laughs> not indie. 20 years after the U.S. invasion of Iraq, the country remains unstable with one of the most corrupt and dysfunctional governments in the world. It's unable to provide Iraqis with many of the basic services previous generations had known. Rival militia groups are battling for influence. Serious human rights abuses are ongoing. And as far as the American side, the cumulative cost of the war for American taxpayers will end up well over $3 trillion, adding more to the national debt um, and giving the excuse to resist needed expansions and to cut down on domestic spending so basically like well the iraq war was so expensive we don't have money for welfare because we still got to pay our bills from the iraq war 
And on the environmental front, the war is estimated to have resulted in the release of hundreds of millions of additional metric tons of carbon emissions into the atmosphere, seriously undermining efforts to reduce emissions elsewhere. And then the fact that American troops still have to be in Iran and Iraq to stop the spread of ISIS. Um, am I blaming Reagan for this? Yes, but fine. So Reagan helped Saddam Hussein, okay? He didn't end up having ties to Al-Qaeda when we invaded Iraq. So the real bad guys were Al-Qaeda in the situation, okay? It would be really funny if Reagan had also a hand in influencing Al-Qaeda, right? So he did. Learning nothing, the Reagan administration armed and supported uh, the Mahaji, um, Mahaj, Mahajidin, 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 rebels in Afghanistan to try to prevent the spread of the Soviet Union in the Middle East. Many members, like Osama bin Laden, used their experience in Afghanistan to help them form the terrorist organization Al-Qaeda, who went on to conduct the terrorist attack on 9-11. TLDR, Reagan caused 9-11. That's a stretch. I know it is. <laughs> but it's so, it's so crazy for, like, these bullet points, like Saddam Hussein, you know, Osama bin Laden, 9-11, mm-hmm. like, Al-Qaeda, like these oil, oil, (laughs) big oil, like these are like the enemy, like Republicans love to bring up these giant big bad guys and they are big bad. Do not get me wrong. I'm not about to say that any of these guys are like good or anything, Mm -hmm. but it's just so crazy. Like we have to stop these monsters who could have made them and they're fucking good old boys in the corner. (laughs) He's he's on a poster in their kitchen. (laughs) I mean like, so about that sons and daughters, that was me. Um, And then Reagan also elevated um, a couple Supreme Court justices for a while. Um, yeah, he... yeah. Because <laughs> sorry, I, not not to get into this whole thing, but why the fuck can Supreme? Why why are they just there until they're not? <laughs> like I feel like they need they should be like reelected or something. You know? I know. I feel everyone is always like, do do young people have their version of nine eleven? Where it's like, where were you? Do you remember where you were at this historic event? And like, to be fair, don't remember 9-11. You know what I do remember? Hearing the news that Ruth Bader Ginsburg had died. Because mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh, we are fucked. We are fucked. We are so fucked. Mm-hmm. We are fucked. Democracy was hanging by the thread of the, the lifespan of one woman who was just a bunch of bones. We're like, RBG. She was trying her best. She was doing what she could. <laughs> she was like, she was like doing nothing but just drinking bloom and <laughs> bloom. <laughs> she was like... Like, her personal trainer was like, I've never seen a healthier woman in my life. And she's, like, running upstairs. She has, like... like she's, she's, like, snorting creatine. She's, like, the Terminator. She has, like, bones made of, like, mm-hmm. steel. Because they're like, please, please just stay a little bit longer. Yeah, so Reagan appointed three justices to the bench. Three. That's three Supreme Court justices to the bench. That's so many. That's Anthony Kennedy... Antin Scalia, and the first woman, ooh, Sandra Day O'Connor, ooh, a woman, progressive, not true. Part of the new right's basic belief was that judicial activism was unconstitutional and that judges should be selected with an adherence of judicial restraint. So he picked them because they promised to not do anything. Basically, these three, and I think Scalia is now dead, but Mm -hmm. they're... um, there's a couple of ways that you can kind of go about being a Supreme Court justice. Either you can do the kind of the more like liberal way or, you know, actually depends on what type of agenda you have. So one is like it's up to the Supreme Court justice to to define the laws of our land. You know, is it right? Is it just? And some 
you know, that's called judicial activism. And some people are like, any activism is against the point of a judge. And the judge's job is to not do anything, to block everything, to show your restraint whenever you can. So it was three, these three Supreme Court justices, Scalia especially, their thing was like, no, (laughs) their goal of the vote was to shut it down. Mm -hmm. And that's typically a conservative's thing. Because if you're conservative, you don't want things to change by definition. So if there was like, hey, there's this new social thing, it was like, no, no change. Don't want it. It's not up to us to make an opinion one way or the other. I'm just like, uh, uh, like, I I get it, I guess. But also at the same time, I'm like, what? (laughs) I just don't, I don't understand how you could be, frankly, in any part of government, and be like, no, yeah, no, uh, change. We're we're not we're we're not about uh, change and development. No, mm. like that. I like I I I don't. This is confusing to me. I have, <laughs> I have to be honest. I, I don't understand. And that's why I can't be a Supreme Court justice, frankly. <laughs> but yeah, and like that's kind of the end of like the the barrage of information. But I'm just gonna like there are club t- club bus club another, another club, club another, another club. Bus. But I'm I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, okay, so it's like. Every once in a while, you have a smoke sesh and you just think about all the problems that we, they're like, what's wrong? The student loans, that was Reagan. The reason that like, it's such a, like a high interest rate and the the price of colleges, it's because he didn't want colleges, like he didn't want the federal government to interfere with private businesses. And like, that's a problem that we're facing. All right, fine. That's one way. Um, Things about like, yeah, Roe v. Wade, he helped bring justices that would like, you like, Small, like, I'm trying to, like, every problem that I can think of, I'm like, where did that come from? Why are those policies still here? Um, healthcare. Why is healthcare so expensive? It's because he wanted a private sector. He didn't, like, I'm like, fuck, why don't we, why don't we have free healthcare? That's a handout. That's a government program. That's welfare yeah. program. I have to cut that out. Fuck me. Like, why? It, like, we, he, to, like, he, again, I don't want to put all of the, all of the credit on this one guy whose main thing was just say No. And not just to drugs, but to anything. Can we? No. Well, I, I, I think it's interesting, too, to kind of address, like, the reason why. And, I mean, this is, this is me taking a wild guess, but I have a feeling it's probably correct. Um, <laughs> or, or has, like, at least some, you know, some, like, relevance to it. It's, I, I think it's interesting to look at why so many Americans connected with him and wanted mm-hmm. him, like, in a position of power was because we're just we're, we're coming out of like the 60s and 70s we're coming out of this like age of change mm-hmm. and development and growth and like a lot of like liberal growth and like uh open perspectives on drug usage religion and, yeah religion women's rights civil rights yeah. yeah all of these things you know we're 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 coming out of this age of great change in america Mm -hmm. and i think so many white americans felt so threatened and so scared by all of that that when someone came in who was like hey all of those scary things and all of those changes and like those dirty druggy hippies like be rid of them Mm -hmm. make america great again let's have a good christian white america again safe it'll be safe you know it you trust it i i I think there was kind of that like social pressure from having just gone through all of this change as a country to wanting 
to regain that control. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's part of why he was so successful. Even like, this was a little bit before his time, the idea of like, they still call it global warming. You know, like we, obviously now we call it climate change, but he was a huge like fan of oil. He was a huge fan of, of traditional like power sources. I like, yeah, I don't want to say he was like, he was not a green boy. I should say at one point he like in a speech, he implied that like trees make more pollution than cars. He pulled that straight out of his ass. Like people were like, what? What? He never said it again. He only really said it that one time. <laughs> he was like, oh, hmm. Dur- people didn't like that. Take. In like the 50s, he was like a spokesperson for GE. Like he <laughs> he he was like he was like nearly a paid influencer for GE in like the, the 50s and 60s. But he didn't like the UN. He was kind of not a fan of cutting down on emissions because that's going to break the free market. And we love businesses that are successful. And if the business that is successful just so happens to be gas or coal or finite resources that are ruling the environment, that's a liberal hippie problem. Mm-hmm. And like, it's just, it's, it sucks. Cause like you, you, you think about all of all the issues that plague America today and like the real ones, you know, like, like not the fucking, they're turning our kids trans in schools and shit, but like the, the real policy problems, even our lack of infrastructure budgets. He's like, we don't have money for infrastructure, small things, fucking tiny things. And like, he wasn't, it's it's weird to say this now after all of this, but it is true. It's shocking to see how there were so many issues now that he was weirdly bipartisan on just because we expect that the, the messiah of modern conservatism to be just that angry and loud as like, you know, your Marjorie Taylor Greene or your Trumpians of the world. But his like immigration reform was like it was it was tight and it was kind of brutal, but it also provided amnesty if you had been here for over 20 years, or at least it offered an option for amnesty. Not that it was an easy route or anything, but like that was the first, like you don't expect that from a, from a Republican conservative like president to be like, and if you've been here for a while, go ahead. And if you have kids, they can stay depending like that. Hello. Hello. And I think that also just speaks to in general to this idea that 50 years ago, like our conservatives would be liberal now. Like, everything is changing my big brain swelling but yeah it just you you would assume that you know obviously if you're very on the left side of the fence which i don't have you picked up on that we kind of are <laughs> i don't know if you've gauged that despite the fact that we have been given podcast mics we haven't gone full right yet <laughs> we'll just occasionally complain about the youth and the kids um we haven't gone red yet, but if you're you are a more, of a more left leaning persuasion, you would just assume that um, it's all conservatives' fault that we are where we are today. And not to say that Democrats in the past haven't made some slips, made some oopsies, but you're like, it can't be that easy, right? It can't be that the the the, the face of conservatism was actually responsible for everything. Our problems had to have gone here earlier than like the '80s. And to be fair, the system that produced and upheld Reagan was obviously there before. Like, he had the stepping stones in place to put him in power and keep him in power. Clearly, like, the groundwork had been laid for him to succeed. So he, again, he wasn't busting through the scene with these newfangled ideas about trickle-down economics and that maybe the poor people don't actually deserve anything. Clearly, the sentiment was there. He didn't invent anything. It's giving him way too much fucking credit. But you're like, clearly, like, like these problems had to have gone into effect earlier than like the 80s right and like no really no and that's another like sad thing too of so like i feel like the the 80s nostalgia goggles are finally coming off like i feel like the 80s had us in a nostalgia 
chokehold for so long that now we're like and also the 80s weren't all just like arcades and stranger things and perms it was bad and mm-hmm. shitty and mean mm-hmm. and fucking ronald reagan's wrinkly face was responsible for kind of a lot of suffering and even if at the time people didn't see it because at the time people were just so desperate for change that like it's just it's people are kind of more easy to forgive him because they're like could he have known that all of this stopping like putting a giant stop sign and all these progresses could have led us to kind of the mm-hmm. the place that we are right now the very unstable place that we are right now and on the one hand maybe not but on the other hand fucking maybe like it's not like he wasn't warned that trickle down might not work it's not like he wasn't hey people need welfare hey people are dying of aids he wasn't completely naive to the fact that all of these would have long-lasting consequences mm-hmm. but it was about a sh- it was about a short-term solution not necessarily thinking about the long-term consequences of his actions the long-term consequences of meddling in latin america trying to fuck around with which dictator we actually want to be on top fucking around with the middle east which dictator we actually want to control our oil constantly fucking around and finding out mm-hmm. was kind of reagan's mo but you don't realize it because he's your fun sweet little grandpa who lives on a ranch well and it's like uh, i i i i I truly believe very very few times do people do things with ill intent i'm sure in in reagan's mind he was like no this is the correct thing like i'm Mm -hmm. doing the good thing this is the good thing like good fight yeah like he he wasn't like oh i'm haha i'm conspiring (laughs) and like i'm I'm gonna ruin the world like of course he wasn't thinking that like he thought he was doing good things and the americans who voted for him and supported him also thought that he was making positive change he had bipartisan support for a lot of things like clearly he wasn't playing to deaf ears but it's like also also (laughs) as well your actions have consequences and unfortunately those consequences have r- ruined and killed a lot of people like frankly mm-hmm. um and they've ruined a lot of people's lives and they've ruined a lot of like generations mm-hmm. and that's that's very unfortunate that his actions had such major consequences um for all of the people you know up Who, up until yeah. now and moving forward because like i didn't fucking vote for him yeah and i'm still feeling the pressures of his shit and it's like really who could have guessed that the christian uber capitalist who believed in the like the ron swanson of the presidency whose goal was to infiltrate the government to make it smaller could potentially have lasting consequences mm-hmm. and i don't know i feel like kind of preaching the choir for our audience but i also think too of like demythifying ronald reagan is gonna help us out in the long run because i feel like him being this glorious giant untouchable figure in american history has made it so his policies are not only looked favorably upon but people are not willing to go back on them like Mm -hmm. they would for like truman who fucking like truman did a ton of shit we walked back what truman did we walked back what fdr did we walked obamacare is still like up in the air like presidencies and their policies not all of them are meant to be this permanent but it's this weird like you can't touch what reagan did like people like um lore about skyler so my grandfather signed me up for a lifetime membership to the nra i can't undo that i can never be on a jury they'll they'll look up my name and they'll say that i'm a lifetime member of the nra he donates money to the nra in my sister and i's name and he's done that since i was born and I, Sorry, I, this is the first I've heard of this. Yeah, I, I have, I'm, I'm. Skylar Daniels gives money to the National Rifle Association every year, every year. 
And because I have no say in any of that account, I can't be like, Papa, deactivate that shit. He did that with all my cousins. He did that with my dad. He does that with everybody because the NRA wants more numbers. So I think he's like personally financing like 10 accounts for like the NRA right now. Oh my God. But because of that, because we are so generous with our donations to the NRA, they send us a magazine. They send my family a magazine every month or so. And I will open up the magazine. As a kid, I would just rip it up. Like, I would be so... And, like, it's not just, you know, buy guns. Like, the ads for it. And at one point, it was, like, visit Ronald Reagan's ancestral home. And I'm like, what? And it was, like, the spread about Reagan's cabin. Like, it was Disneyland. Yeah. And, like, the Reagan merch. And, like, the mythos of Ronald Reagan. He is held to the same standard as, like, Abraham Lincoln. But he was alive in the 80s like he, he's such a more tangible mm. person that was alive recently than george fucking washington and Abe, it's like george washington abe lincoln ronald reagan i'm like <laughs> he's too early for you guys to be doing all this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah i think demystifying and basically being like he was just a weird old man <laughs> maybe can we just fucking change some of his policies please oh. he didn't write the constitution he didn't i promise i promise i promise i promise It'd be okay if we touched it a little and speaking bit. Of, <laughs> and speaking of, maybe we should maybe we should look at the Constitution as well. Um, anyway, yeah. watch um, watch Thirteenth. I recommend it. Honestly, a, a lot of what you talk about they talk about in Thirteenth, but um, it yeah, it's it's very very good. Um, yeah, yeah. And my my final thoughts is if you think of another, if I didn't mention a problem that you have with this country, if you're like actually. Um, how come the FDA is feeding us poison? Look it up. And if you see Ronald Reagan, Venmo me a dollar. If you look up the Wikipedia page and somewhere alongside it mentions like the 1980s was signed into an administration, which administration was it? Mm -hmm. Look it up. Give me a dollar. And it's like a fun party game Mm -hmm. to like think of a problem. Think of the problem that this giant great nation of ours is having and you look at the Wikipedia page and he will pop up. It's incredible. It's like that game of like, um, how many moves to Kevin Bacon? Oh, yeah. <laughs> when you think of a movie and how many, ca- like, if you can do it under, like, five actors or less, you win because Kevin Bacon's been in everything. Mm-hmm. That was it. Thank you. Um, this was uh, this was a political one. This was kind of a rampty, rambly one. But I don't know. If you liked it, let me know. Mm-hmm. And I'll never do another one like this again. <laughs> I don't want to do, pol- I, I hate politics, actually. Just kidding. I'm a libertarian now. no, 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 no. no. <laughs> Can that actually be taken out of context? <laughs> um, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed, and we will see you next week. Bye. Thanks. Bye.